In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. But everybody can see that moment where I just saw. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking with a familiar voice, Dr. Dan Allender. Who is going to introduce himself pretty quickly into the show, just proving how comfortable he is. We actually recorded this podcast a couple of weeks ago before any of the latest of this building tension went down with the death of George Floyd. And it feels more timely than ever. Today's podcast is about a worldview of forgiveness. And as usual, Dan, therapist, psychologist, founder of the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, expanded the issue from it's good to forgive to your participating in the future of the universe by bringing the restoration of all things in Jesus into ooh, the ooh, world. Ooh, to some other very provocative ways that forgiveness can get walked out. Right? Not, it wasn't just roll over and say, I forgive you. It's not sunshine and rainbows. Right. Just a note on the content. We happen to be airing this at a moment in time where anything remotely social or political triggers the reservoir of frustration and hatred in people across the political spectrum. And it's important to know going into this episode that. Dan is not a fan of Trump. And whether that makes you angry or whether that makes you want to rejoice, the point holds that in this episode, you will have an opportunity to practice in real time the discipline of relating through very robust forgiveness. And kind of frankly, if your church is anything like healthy, you should know sane people who you respect who fall on either side of the political divide. So insofar as Jesus has abolished every dividing line of hostility and brought people who would otherwise be enemies near, don't let that throw you. Take the episode and let it sort of blow your mind as it blew our mind. Here's Dan Allender on forgiveness. Welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. And I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Sam. Hi, Blaine. <laughs> Good to have you on the podcast, Dan. Dan, I'm glad that for you, it wasn't enough just to quarantine, that you actually moved to an island and burned the ferry behind you to preserve civilization. Thank you for doing that. Took it very seriously. You're welcome. Uh, hoping to save my, not just my life, but all my body fluids for posterity. Mm. What do you... You know what? No. <laughs> yeah, 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 Sam. Sam almost asked the, the next question. You almost got baited. There is a next question, and we're going to avoid it at all costs now. 
I, I, all I'm thinking of is saliva, nothing other. <laughs> As you derailed Lane. I you love did. It. You effectively did it. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> it's not easy. The substance of our conversation today corresponds to a phenomenon that's visible basically everywhere. And here are a few illustrations. A friend of mine is an official in the Anglican Church, and he was talking about the problems that the liturgical church is facing when it comes to reopening gatherings. And there's, it's not just the public health, it's not just the science, it is how fundamentally divisive it is to an infuriated congregation. And he was honestly kind of baffled in our conversation. Is He just said, I really underestimated how many schisms were going to come out of COVID. And another story, just sort of to fill out the constellation, was chatting uh, with a friend, catching up on life, and how are you doing? What's good? What's difficult? And the response was this kind of, you know, I am just having a really hard time with people who aren't and blank. Because the value of that illustration is, this person could have gone either way, but there was just this smoldering anger. And for me personally, I would say that most of the time there's, you know, some kind of disappointment or letdown to manage in my life. But right now, I am disappointed with my... uh grocery store clerk's response to something and with my friend's disappearance and with the, you know, state of my church and just going, whoa, there is a level of pervasive hurt right now that just makes, you know, the 2016 election look like kindergarten by comparison. And so Sam and I were having a conversation and just realized, oh my goodness, People are more angry with more parties that are, that are very personal and intimate to them than maybe they have been before, like not since that disaster at the prom. And when uh, forgiveness is going to be one of the skills that helps a person survive this moment. And so how do you do it? <laughs> This is a mysterious skill. Oh, well, it, it's so glorious to name as you have named. We are living in unquestionably one of the most exciting eras that I can, I can ever even imagine. Like the privilege of living in a pandemic uh, ought to take our breath away. Uh, and things are unquestionably going, as my grandmother would say, going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and that's the time we rise. That's the time that everything good about the community of God has a chance to be seen. So it, it's in the context of pandemics that believers have been willing in ages past to care for 
to sacrifice on behalf of, and in many ways live out the power of the resurrection with a freedom not to be unafraid of death, but not bound to death. So, you know, if we see this as a horrible period, which it is, I'm not denying that, but if we also see this is the chance to live in a way in which very few over the last you know, millennia have been able to do quite the way we are able to do. So if we do not engage trauma, the consequences of of how rage becomes a way of self-soothing from the terror, not only of death, but of financial loss, uh, of personal loss of freedom. If we don't actually take into account, we are living in a fragmented time in somewhat uh, of um, debilitated bodies. Uh, And if forgiveness is not at the forefront of what we get to bring to this world, we will have lost one of the uh, just blue ribbon periods uh, of the last millennium. Mm. That sounds like this wonderful charge to action. And I'm aware that the the majority of me goes, eh, I don't, <laughs> that's uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I don't like it. I want to feel justified. And the reasons and the ways that I get offended uh, are the majority of my world these days. Like the, the ways I can misinterpret a text, a phone call, even a video call. Like I can't really see you that often. You being friend on this call right now, you being coworker, you being other family. Like there's just this, my world is set up for me to be offended and for me to feel misunderstood and to feel abandoned. And so why should I forgive anybody? Yeah. Well, I go back to that category that rage, anger, frustration, whatever denomination of a word you want, is one of the most powerful ways to soothe our own sense of trauma when we feel as powerless as we feel. You know, again, uh, we'll we'll step into COVID more, but, uh, you know, the idea that we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year, that would be fabulous. I pray for that. But it's also possible we won't have a vaccine for three to five years or never. So for us to face, you know, we should be the ones believing in the resurrection. We should be the ones who are most apt and able to face the fact that this is not our kingdom. We have no power to make our lives work financially or otherwise. And therefore, it's the freeing time. Like, I've lost a lot of money. And it's freeing. Uh, I, the school that I've been part of building may go down. That's freeing. Uh, again, it isn't just an issue of perspective. It's when you die and allow yourself to die. There's a new freedom because you're no longer trying to contain, to control, to manage, to have power. So I don't think you can deal with the anger that's there until you begin to open the door to what what must I lose for my life to actually have freedom? Now, I'll also say, I I have the benefit of about 30 years on both of you. So I'm closer to death anyway. Uh, And there is a certain freedom in that to be able to go, hey, I don't have terribly young children that I have to care for in the way that you both do. So I want to also say, 
I don't know how much of maturity exists in me and how much it is that at my age, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm just too tired to be as angry as I used to be. All that can be responded with is a good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But the question that you have raised, I think is so, so core to who we are. How do we participate in reconciliation? Because forgiveness is a process, but to what end? To, to being able to come back together, to be in union, uh, to be in communion with one another. Uh, Becky and I just yesterday, for the first time, had our grocery store deliver groceries. Uh, we've gone, but I, I just said, ah, let's just try it. Well, they forgot 30 of 50 items. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it, not being the brightest in the world, I didn't quite check before she departed. And so soon in, I realized, oh my gosh, uh, we've not been screwed as much as we've been screwed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we make a phone call back, begin the process of saying, I think there's a problem. Uh, and the woman's defensive already, like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, now, do you have your number? Who delivered? Uh, what's the bag numbers? And, and I just said to her, I don't know what kind of day you've had, but this is not going to be catastrophic for either of us. So are you okay with us just going through this? And she, I could feel her body on the other end of the phone just go, oh. And she said, you, you mean you're not angry? And I said, no, and I don't have a dog, and I don't have little kids, uh, and I, I have nobody to kick, and I don't want to <laughs> kick anybody. But she said, this is so refreshing. Mm. And it was like, oh, heartache, mm -hmm. woman. What have you dealt with today? So again, back to that image of once we begin to say, this is where I get to play in the kingdom of God to bring peace as best as I can, as troubled a man as I am, how do I get to bring peace to the world around me, to my neighbors? Uh, and again, we, we get together, uh, socially distanced, we wear our little masks, we sip our little rosé, but even in that little world, there are big things to be done with regard to creating peace. So forgiveness has the end of creating a world where there is the potential for flourishing, for play, for kindness. That's a world I want. I know it's a world you want. Uh, then the question is, how do we get ourselves there? That's good. I shouldn't be surprised that we've launched ourselves straight into the theology of atonement. It, it is where you wanted to go eventually, though. I thought we'd land there. <laughs> uh, it is an inspiring picture. And, you know, what you're describing is calling up in me the desire to operate differently in view of a new frame. I am also aware that there's sort of, there is a spectrum of experience and a spectrum of hurt and maybe working through a few different examples because they feel very different and you know coming down from the political highest level down to the very personal to go okay okay so we're meant to participate in reconciliation unto the ushering in 
of the reign of Jesus. Can you put that in like first grade terms for me in terms of a practice when I go, what if I have experienced small but meaningful hurt and disappointment from my closest friends in the COVID season, simply in terms of, I was scared and no one called me, or one friend went off the rails and was totally unreliable, and I had really depended on him for a long time, or one friend's anger boiled over so quickly, it burned all of us, and just take it to the level of like, There are people in my world who I rely on or who I am like close with who hurt me in this season. What are the steps to forgiving, reconciling restoration there? Well, let's start with at least my view of forgiveness has two core components. One begins with the notion of canceling the debt that is owed, which always underscores the fact that the debt you owe me whenever you fail me is something you can never pay back. Given a thousand lifetimes, you cannot pay it back. So it's always derivative. To the degree you have been forgiven will be the degree to which you forgive. That's the notion of Luke 747. He who is forgiven little loves little. Implied in that, he who is forgiven much loves much. So I begin with the reality of knowing uh, and This is one of the great gifts of my life. Like, I did not grow up in the church. I didn't have a clue of what the B-I-B-L-E was until Tremper told me at age 14 that God spoke. And it was like, what? Come on, where? And he goes, the Bible. The what? The Bible. What's the Bible? So I'm as close to pure as a human being can be in terms of the vestiges of the insanity of the church. Uh, so knowing that I'm a sinner, damn, ain't been a problem for me. Uh, that's uh, the idea that I'm a lustful, adulterous man. I'm an angry, murderous man. I, I got that one down well. So the issue of what I've been forgiven for uh, is, is huge. Uh, and that's not just past life. That's an interaction that I had with Becky as to where she had put a pair of pliers. Good Lord, you would have thought it was the end of our marriage. All all to say, if you don't have some clue about what a schmuck you are, you know, forgiveness is going to be really tough. So what have you been forgiven for? Um, I'm a killer. I'm a whore. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, but what I've been forgiven for on a day-to-day basis still makes me say it's not possible. The gospel is too good to be true. Uh, so if that's if that's at least the first part. Like, I have been forgiven. So you've got passages like Matthew 18 that says, you, to the degree you forgive, the measure by which you forgive, you will be forgiven. Okay, well, that's a little terrifying uh, because I'm not a particularly forgiving man. Uh, and so I've got to wrestle with the fact that I've been forgiven much, but I'm not apt to give much forgiveness to others. Well, 
there's a story about that. Uh, and the story takes me right to the reality of, oh my gosh, uh, I've been forgiven trillions and I'm holding friends with debts for a couple hundred dollars. That's a problem. But there's a second portion of forgiveness, and that's not just canceling the debt. That's actually that sense of doing good, wanting good for those who have done me harm. Now, it gets a little complicated because I deal pretty much every day with people who've been abused. Let's be clear, doing good to an abuser is having them arrested. Um, doing good for somebody who has cancer is something called chemotherapy, uh, poisoning, radiation, burning, uh, surgery, cutting. Don't think of this as doing good as just sort of by be a little sweet person. Uh, it has to do with what will help you take in the fullness of the glory and goodness of God. And that can be deeply disruptive. So if you're thinking about what it means to forgive, the notion of forgive, forget is a maddening concept, even though it arises in the Psalms. It's hard to believe an omniscient God forgets, uh, but the way that category lives out is I don't want my relationship with you to be determined by my failure or by yours, but by the hope of what redemption would hold for us. So that means that uh, if, if, you know, if I were to abuse Becky, I would hope she had the courage to love me and forgive me by dialing 911 and having me arrested. Why? Because that has a chance to create a context for redemption. So if we understand that forgiveness has force, power, movement, then it's not this uh, silly notion of just sort of like, oh, there's no big deal. I mean, you've got Luke 17, 3, where it says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now that, if you remember maybe seventh or eighth grade conditional phrases, if then clauses have a certain meaning. And Jesus is saying, if then, if he sins against you, rebuke. If he repents, forgive. Well, what if he doesn't repent? Uh, what do you mean, Jesus? I thought you told us in Matthew 18, we need to forgive. So can we at least say forgiveness is a whole lot more complicated than what we allow for in most so-called evangelical churches? And I think the simple point is the desire to create peace, even when it requires disruption, is a holy movement toward forgiveness. But I will not reconcile with you and pretend things are well when there has not been repentance that allows us to restore relationships. Okay, folks, if you need to go back and re-listen to the last five minutes, that is totally appropriate. I'm actually going to pause right now as well and do that so I can sound intelligent in my response. Dup, 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 dup. Okay, here we go. And I'm back. Dan, at one point in time, you said the sentence along the lines of, to not forgive someone is to leave your heart bound in darkness to them. This feels like a, a complex mm -hmm. wrinkle in the scenario where someone may not be repenting, but you may need some measure of 
disconnection, freedom from being wrapped up in that person's darkness. And so uh, just to make what was already a purely, what was already a fairly complex, nuanced topic, let's just maybe see if there's another degree we can do that to. Well, think of it this way. When I hate you, I essentially am making love to you. Uh, because our hearts are bound in this degrading, sadistic, masochistic bond that really is a form of S&M. You've got two choices in life, to love or to hate. The ultimate form of hatred is indifference. When I just, I don't care what, I, I don't hate you, I just don't care anything about you. It's the ultimate form of hatred. So that's why Jesus says, I think, would I that you were hot or cold? But the notion of indifference is a form of being lukewarm. So when people have harmed me, I have to go through a process of hating them. Uh, and I will hate them. I, I will want to destroy them. I have a very keen imagination. And I usually kill people by various different means. Uh, and so after I get that in my head for a while, I, the gospel is actually there through the Spirit. And the Spirit basically goes, oh, that was really thoughtful. Maybe you want to write a novel. But may, maybe in the process, you'd like to engage the fact that you're actually bound to that person. The person you hate, you're more bound to in some ways than the people you love. Really? You want that level of dark intimacy with the person who harmed you? Ah, not me, but I do. I mean, again, do you see the bond Mm -hmm. of, part of me does, I want to kill you, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I actually want to hurt you even more. And the best way to hurt people is to forgive them. It really pisses people off when you have a heart that is playful, kind, open, but also strong, bold, and unafraid. And that injection of the very presence of God creates all sorts of complications for the people who expect either judgment, anger, or expect you to forget and go on. So that freedom to go, look, you don't have a choice. You're going to love them. You're going to hate them. Really, you want to hate them? Uh, Because it binds you deeply to to their spirits, to the warfare that they are part of. I don't want to get that close to people who have harmed me. I'd rather love them. And in loving, yeah, I may ultimately say, in love, I know I don't trust you further than I can spit you. So love doesn't mean it's all better. It's going to be all reconciled. It's all sweet now. No, it just clears the way so we can engage. And perhaps that engagement will include I need to rebuke you. You need to rebuke me so that we have the potential again for a harmony, for a a shalom that's not possible as long as this this barrier is between us. Mm. It's so good. Man, I just want to call attention to these two connected parts of forgiveness that have come up in the past 10 minutes. And it's really interesting where uh, you talk about forgive to the degree that you have been forgiven. And it's really interesting. I, I think 
this isn't been sort of hashed out in observation, but that uh, for young men in our generation, especially, uh, there there really is a temptation to uh, like ignore sort of the existential fear of our own indebtedness and failure. And many of the promises of progressive ethics give you a solution of you can live well and the things that you are not doing well aren't your fault or aren't expected of you. But to go, you actually rob a person of being able to receive something to offer. And I just think really basic where uh, <laughs> this is a relief to me is a couple days ago and my, I'm currently in just the deep dreaming phase of uh, putting a power rack into my garage uh, so that I don't have to go to work to use the weightlifting equipment. And I'm deep into this dream and planning how much money I'm going to spend. And then Jesus sort of comes up and goes like, um, hey, quick question. When was the last time you asked Emily what her dreams were? And I was like, I honestly don't remember. And uh, so it was like, oh my gosh, I have a real opportunity to he here to go, oh, I don't think about my wife's dreams on my own. Uh, wow, that is such a failure. Okay, thank you for your forgiveness, God. Go to Emily and go, Emily, hey, I was just thinking about the gym that I want to build, and I realized I don't ask you about your dreams, and I'm sorry. And what are your dreams for our house? And then she kind of like laid out a few, and it was just shocking how I didn't know them, and went, wow, that is a good idea. I would love to make the backyard better for our daughter to play in. Good idea. And or another one of just going, wow, what this season has exposed in me is how ready I am to jettison friendships and go, oh, you offend me? You're out. Don't care. And, and it's not like a public thing. It's like, no, I will like expunge you from my heart immediately and just go, we're not friends. Like, boom, whatever that, whatever that reality is, I've just canceled it and going, whoa, okay. So, you know, not in like the ultimate kingdom sense, but when we talk about, uh, the flesh. I'm like, man, I really am very reactive to people uh, and like, and unable to offer the kind of loyalty that I would like to receive from people. So what do I do with that? And go, okay, so one, like, young guys, uh, don't give in to existential fear and ignore your own failures. They will help you uh, because when you experience forgiveness there, you have something to offer. And then the, the connection with moving past hatred is actually just an intense desire to be free or even to like have less connection with the person, not more. Those are really surprising reframes of those two realities. And one of the questions is you're talking about hatred is to go, uh, 
the scenarios that you've described have been like intense harm or someone that you're angry at and go, okay, how does it work with like really casual hatred or (laughs) the really low grade (laughs) hatred that builds up over time for like, that finally expresses itself in like, man, I just hate my church. I just hate those guys. They're so, they fail so often. It's such an annoying thing. What do you do there? Oh, gosh, I I love the way you framed it because, you know, there's so many things in my marriage that are so revelatory of, you know, I, I, I I think I actually live some of what we're talking about. But often in the big matters, but sometimes it's the smallest that just absolutely seem to take symbolically all the other rage that comes out. Uh, I had come home with groceries uh, and, uh, you know, we're we're living, both Becky and I have some immunological issues that if we get COVID, it's not likely going to be good. So we've taken on a very, very conservative approach. And one of the things that I asked her to do is, when I have bags, open, you know, you know about when I'm coming home, open the front door so I don't have to touch the knob so that I then have to go back and clean it. Well, she didn't. Uh, but I, like I rang the doorbell four or five times. She doesn't come. Finally, I open the door myself. And I see her sitting on the couch in a Zoom call with four of her friends from elementary school. And I'm like, do I rage in front of people I haven't seen in 50 years? I don't think so. So I contained myself until she got off. And then, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly bright and verbal and there's vitriol. And I just unleashed, uh, like, her insensitivity, her lack of real awareness about the potential of this disease. I I mean, uh, it it was brutal. So I, for the next hour afterwards, knew what an absolute shit I had been. But even that was not enough, because all it did was engender shame. Uh, And then in my shame, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to talk to her. I'm not going to deal with my own heart. And, you know, two hours of just a mess. And then what happened? Uh, I went upstairs and I was going to say something to her. And as I went up the stairs, she was hiding and literally stepped out and scared me to death. Uh, I, well, between at one level wanting to hit her, but also like just to collapse on the floor, it was so freaking playful. I didn't know what to do with it. And she just looked at me and she said, I know you're not ready to deal with yourself, but I want you to know when you do, I adore you. It's that surprise, that sense of it is so undeserved. But there's something in all of our hearts that love to scare people. And there's something about forgiveness that really does terrify the human heart. 
I mean, we're not good at this. And we also believe at the core that none of us deserve it and none of us will ever receive it. So that framework of just having somebody scare hell out of you uh, opens the door to, again, the wonder of what forgiveness actually is. It's inviting people back into the communion that they don't deserve. But now you get to offer, which often creates on their part, at least initially on my part, fury at her and yet within moments, laughter. And then I just said to her, look, I'm, I'm still so angry at me, at you, at the universe, at God. I, I, can you give me an hour and we can begin to address this? That was the framework to be able to come back to play together. But if she hadn't terrified me, I, I think I would have gone hours before uh, that movement would have brought me back. So forgiveness is play. It is the core of the playfulness of God to run to us, to hold us, to celebrate us, to invite us to a new level of honor, a new level of enjoyment, deeply undeserved. But that's the complication with forgiveness. Being forgiven and offering forgiveness, do we understand it is the greatest weapon of God to, in one sense, cut through the cold, icy heart that all of us have at different points. Dan, I want to hit you with another scenario because this is really helpful exploration of the intimate dimension of forgiveness and what to do about our failure and disappointment in key relationships. There's another level that feels important to address in this moment, which is a kind of and I don't know if forgiveness is actually the key in this case. What do you do with the massive disillusionment inclining towards anger and hatred that most people are experiencing? Because there's the personal experiences of hurt, but then there are very, very public experiences of hurt right now that could express formative influence over a young guy. And wherever you are, and go, my church closed or didn't close. My city closed or it didn't close. My job sent us home or it didn't send us home. Like the fascinating thing of, on the dimensions of the soul, it doesn't actually matter. It, I, I remember that brilliant passage in the screw tape letters where the elder demon asks the younger demon the question, I need to see uh, your man's profile to see if it would be more advantageous to us to turn him into an ardent patriot or a pacifist in response to the war. And go, <laughs> like, wherever you are, your heart is still at stake. And so yes. to go, okay, one, one experience of harm and disappointment is personal. Another experience of harm and disappointment is widespread, communal, political. How does a person begin to address their anger and hurt at sort of the failure of the communities or systems that they trusted? Yes. yes. Well, we, we are so individualistic that we don't think of systems uh, hardly ever. 
And I do, I, I love what you're asking because it implies we're to forgive not just individuals, but systems. And to be able to go, I am not a Trump follower. I didn't vote for Trump. I'll never vote for Trump. Uh, but I have dear, dear friends who are Trumpettes, uh, and we are in relationship, and we have conversations, and they are often heated uh, and data, fact-filled, questioned. You know, it's, it, it's a little bit like mud wrestling. And we've had to many times come back together and say, how is our heart for one another, given that we are deeply different with regard to our understanding of how to live out the kingdom of God in the United States of America? So I think that framework of being able to say, I pray for President Trump every single day. And after every cruel, utterly pointless tweet that defrauds, denies facts, honor, goodness, uh, there is something that is not just individual forgiving him. So to hold systems as something we're not to bring blessing to, prayer, forgiveness. The the school that I was part of starting has screwed me more than a few times. So the, the reality is anything that you're involved in is going to require your heart to engage letting go and then doing good. And that's, I I just, just to say, as you have said, when we forget that individuals make up a institution, but institutions are in some sense another living entity that can't just be put to two people, five people, 5,000 people, 500,000 people. Systems need our forgiveness and our engagement to do good on their behalf. Yeah, that's so good because if Gallup polls are to be believed, half of our audience is participating in your forgiveness of Trump right now. The other half has the opportunity to forgive you. So everyone's winning. Mm, Everyone is winning. Good phrasing, Blaine. (laughs) We're making the kingdom of God great again. Yes. I just like those... The rabbit trails, the the rat's nest of organizations and all the ways that plays out, like, please sit with that for a minute because your church, the system of race, the system of gender that are actually all over the place in the world right now, like this plays out in a million different ways, all of them getting worse. And so it's just, (sighs) Dan, for me, I'm aware that I have the personality type uh, this was this was going on last night. We have some people that we've been wronged by, and we need to forgive, but also need to have conversations with. And that I get to be playful and bold and act, and also I don't want to be bound to you. Like this, all of these things are ringing so true. And my personality type, as I've come to learn over the last couple of months, is that I like to fix a thing, heal a thing or get the hell away from that thing. Cause I don't want to sit in like the grossness of it. And I have noticed just how true your comments were earlier about the, the hatred is that binding is that focusing. I sure think a lot about the people or the systems that I'm being wronged by. Like I do just, 
I'm just hanging out in the jacuzzi with them and I'm not thinking about other things. And so my personality type, like as I was saying to Susie the other night, I don't want this person, this system to take up any more of my time or of my life than it should have the rights to. I'd like other things in those places. I'd like to be a happier person because I'm not sitting here getting more gray hairs and obsessing about and having cortisol flood through my system, even though they're not in the room. Like I want that peace and I know that it actually isn't really easy. Like we've been naming all of these things of like, just how oh, it just feels like doing a backflip through a fiery hoop over crocodiles to, in order to like actually forgive and get through the other side unscathed. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if unscathed is, is in part of the cards. Mm, so well said. Yes. I mean, the, the movement of our lives, uh, you just know, no matter where you are in life, you want goodness. And that's, again, going back to my conversations with a dear friend who I sail with. I've sailed over the world with this particular couple. And we, we just were on Zoom the other day talking about certain realities in our world. And he knows I love him. But on the other hand, he knew I was just getting pissed at what he was saying. And he just said, can we keep going or have you, have you turned your heart off to me? And it was like, oh my gosh, what a sweet question, a very vulnerable question. And I said, your question alone just almost brings me to tears because you, you can read my face even through Zoom that I'm getting more and more hostile. And I, I, and I just had to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he said, I, I forgive you. It's like, you know, if more of us anti-Trump and pro-Trump people could forgive one another, uh, we would learn something because I don't think Trump is evil. Uh, but I think he's addressing certain things that are deeply necessary for change. Uh, but a thousand different ways in which he does it and things he has done, I think are just dreadfully wrong. And on the other hand, who can take that office? Who will do all that needs to be done? It, it's impossible. The system is set up so nobody can get done all that needs to get done. So now we're right back to that same premise of how do we tend our hearts with one another to keep enough communion to know when something's being blocked that's keeping us from being able to delight and honor each other. And that, to me, becomes the sine qua non of what we're talking about. When you lose the ability to delight in another person or to want to honor them, yeah, there's something there. And then to be able to go, look, you can't keep relationship with everyone. Thank God. But when you have a history of either rage, like I do, or a form of indifference, which is even worse, then you've got to look at that tendency and to be able to say, it's not leading to life for me or for anyone else. Uh, and I've got to let that disruptive work of the spirit take me back into all the factors that make forgiveness something that's not a delight 
and to joy and play and making it tedious, laborious, uh, agonizing, then that's where I've got to come back to the gospel. 